Hello, everyone. This is Alan Schimmel, CEO Media Ops, and you're watching another episode of DevOps Unbound. Let me introduce you to our panel for this week's episode, and we'll jump right into our subject matter. Um, first of all, we have uh, the newcomer to DevOps Unbound, but he's not a newcomer to our audience. My good friend, Brendan O'Leary, Senior DevOps Evangelist at GitLab, Governing Board Member for CNCF. Hey, Brendan, welcome. Alan, nice to see you, as always, and happy to be here. Thank you for being here, Brendan. Next up, we have our good friend and a semi-regular here on many of our video segments at Media Ops, Tracy Reagan. Uh, Tracy is CEO of Deploy Hub, as well as a uh, the community elected board member of the CD Foundation. Hey, Tracy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alan, for having me here today. I always love doing these. Absolutely. We love having you. Um, our third panel member today comes to us from Tricentis, who's also the sponsor for DevOps Unbound, and it's Dr. Parag Doshi. Uh, Parag runs uh, engineering or VP engineering at Tricentis. Parag, welcome. Hello, Alan, everyone. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for being on. And then last but not least, uh, my co-host for DevOps Unbound, uh, Mitch Ashley. Mitchell is the CEO founder of Accelerated Strategies Group, as well as CTO at MediaOps. Hey, Mitchell, thanks for coming on today. Absolutely, Alan, and thank you for all of our panelists for joining us. You're all fantastic. Yeah. We enjoy having you. You know, just before we jump into it, you know, the, the, the continuing evolution of COVID times, we've done so much with our backgrounds <laughs> on, our, on our videos, right? Looking here at Tracy's snazzy deploy hub background and Mitchell's background and, and Parag's and Brendan's old school, man. Brendan, Brendan's given us, if I'm not mistaken, he used to be down in the basement and now he, he's moved up. I think yeah, you displaced one of the kids or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's a that's a real background. So you good for Brendan. An MV7 microphone there. Nice job there, Brendan, on the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. All uh, you know, post-COVID things to to make it work, Alan. I wanted to have the background, the real background to make it work, you know, but that was also uh, a post-COVID change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Anyway, guys, today's show is around one of the hottest topics in DevOps, GitOps, right? And I, I've actually heard from people, you know, that GitOps is the new DevOps or GitOps is somehow replacing DevOps. And I think DevOps is outgrown, though. It's going to be replaced by something. It, it's, it's transcended to a different level of existence, if you will. But certainly GitOps is, is, is on a lot of people's lips. It's not only on their lips, it's in their development plans and how they're delivering software to the cloud, to cloud native and all over. Um, but is it the right move for every situation? Is it a panacea? When, when do you, when is GitOps a good thing to use? When is it maybe not a good thing to use, right? How tightly or how much does it change sort of the classic CICD? pipeline that we've started to finally wrap our heads around, you know, in DevOps, um, stuff like that. So I am going to, Brendan, of course, GitOps, GitLab, they both have Git in it. So we're going to make you, we're going to, it's okay, I'm going to 
I'd like you to start off. What, let's start with some definitions. What's GitOps mean to you? That's a great question. And I think one that's still probably <laughs> probably unsettled, right? Much like, you know, defining DevOps can sometimes be seen as unsettled. Uh, you know, GitOps came out of the cloud native community. Uh, and so a lot of folks maybe maybe restrict the concept of GitOps to say it only, you know, exists in a Kubernetes world. Um, because that's kind of where this approach came from. But, you know, we've seen folks employ GitOps principles to all kinds of different infrastructure automation, you know, from old school VMs to containers to Kubernetes clusters as well. So when I think of GitOps, I think it kind of requires three things. One, infrastructure is code, right? You said that in the beginning. Um, that's kind of like table stakes <laughs> to getting in. It's something we've been working on for a long time. Um, but really defining as code, right, in Git, the Git part of GitOps, um, what our infrastructure is going to look like. Uh, and then keeping that configuration uh, stored in that code. Um, and maybe the desired state is stored as code or not, but, but at least the, the way we get to that desired state is. Uh, second, I think it's merge requests. So we call merge requests, you'll hear uh, other folks call them pull requests, but the concept of using the point where someone is proposing a change as the central place where teams collaborate on, is this a change we wanna do? Is this gonna help solve the problem we're trying to solve for, right? Bringing that concept to the world of infrastructure is hugely beneficial because it's how our developers have already been working for years and years. And making that, that merge request kind of that central source of truth for approvals and security checks and all those other things is really critical. And then last, I think it's the third thing is CICD, right? Of course. So, you know, the idea of GitOps is automating that infrastructure update, you know, with a very simple Git workflow. Um, and so you really do have to have embraced and, uh, and adopted continuous integration and continuous delivery, really, in order for, you know, the whole package of GitOps to, to make sense for you all. Pretty darn good. Comments, add-ons, thoughts? Barack, Tracy? I, I would Jane. only add one thing here. Um, you know, if you say what is GitOps, I like to shorten it down. I think what Brendan just defined is all accurate, but it's operations by pull request. Um, the goal of GitOps, what GitOps delivers is a hermetic, airtight, immutable deployment. And that is, in essence, what we're trying to accomplish um, by using Git as the uh, place where we declare what we're um, and define what we're going to push out to or have pulled out to the cluster. So it's the concept of a hermetic deployment, something airtight that no human touched. Don't you dare touch that and then deploy it out because we don't know what you did. <laughs> so the whole idea is to create a hermetic process. Love that. That was concise and, and right on. I, I have a similar viewpoint. Um, I, I think of GitOps as a combination of uh, infrastructure as code plus event-driven architecture, right? And in this case, we're talking about merge requests or pull requests or whatever terminology you want to use, depending on the flavor of Git you love. Um, but the way I think of this uh, as a former physicist, right, is entropy is there. It's too hard to keep track of everything. Humans can't remember everything. We need to be able to describe as application developers have been doing for the past couple of decades in code, 
the versions of things, the documentation associated with everything. And then the automation that we've had in CICD, which people think of, oh, okay, that's developers pushing their code out. Well, there's no reason why we have to stop at application level. It needs to be the whole thing because application and infrastructure must stay in sync at all times. So by putting a description of both the application, the infrastructure, and within the surrounding environment, all three of those into Git, you're bringing the best practices of app dev uh, into the whole world together. So they're all synchronized. Yeah, I like that description too, Prague, because in a way it's breaking down silos that we still have, right? Around the, co the code uh, build and deployment process. And uh, it's almost like if you think back when we started using code repositories and, okay, everybody put their source code in one place. Okay, let's expand that to artifacts and other things. Well, now we're doing the same thing of let's abstract at one more level and make the whole thing uh, cradle to grave, if you will, for, for, for getting code out into production, whether it's any part of that stack, it's a GitOps process. So to, to your point, Tracy, about it's an immutable object. It's something that we know from beginning to end, it's all been in one environment and we haven't had manual processes that have just been automated that potentially are weak or could be broken. Well, I had one more comment on top of Brandon's about is, uh, I think it was around, it came out of Cloud Native uh, Computing Foundation. But really the way I look at containers, okay, is, it doesn't matter if it's a container or a VM. We've just moved the control plane up to a higher level, but the same principles apply. So there's no reason why we cannot use these same principles in a container type of environment or a non-container environment. But the only difference I'd say with containers is we can be very surgical, fine grain down to each individual pot. So there's a little advantage with uh, cloud native uh, architectures to be very fine grained. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think... And I think that's important for folks to, you know, separate um, the concept of GitOps, right? This, the principles that we've all talked about, and I agree with the other panelists and, and how they've talked about it, but separate those principles from, from the technology, right? Because it's not always true that Kubernetes is going to be the right technology for you to deploy every workload you have in. Uh, but still this concept of GitOps, and I really liked Tracy's uh, you know, sealed container. I mean, well, overloading the world word container there, but, but that, uh, you know, that sealed deployment that doesn't have a lot of human or doesn't have any human interaction, right? That is what gets us to what Mitch was talking about, which is we want to take this like isolated people working in isolation, the kind of like cave-like nature that operations typically used to have, where, you know, you have to have this specialized knowledge that one person knew Oh, wait, how do we deploy that service? Oh, we've got to call up Alan. He's the one that knows how to do that, <laughs> right? Like you want to get rid of that and, and make it all, you know, what Tracy said, which is like a hermetically sealed deployment that we know we can reproduce every time. Yeah, so um, GitOps is, was a brilliant um, way to leverage existing tools and habits to create chef and puppet. That is basically what 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 was done. Mm. I mean, it has a puppet kind of master um, architecture. You have a GitOps operator that's running in your cluster. It does a poll based on what's in Git. It's very much um, took the basic concept of Chef and Puppet and used and leveraged existing tools that people already had 
uh, some you know open source GitOps operators out there, and they were off and running. And that is the brilliance and beauty of GitOps. I mean, I have a lot of issues with GitOps, and I'm sure we'll share them, but its brilliance is in that simplicity. Of, you know. the, the the irony, though, is Tracy, is that you know many people tell you that Kubernetes killed Chef and Puppet, right? And and we've seen Chef get sold, maybe for less than you know money raises and, and valuations. No, I'm just previously. talking about the con basic concepts. No, no, I I get yeah. it, but you know if we look at the concepts behind what Chef and Puppet did, which was automate that deployment, right? deployment automation like that and then with kubernetes it sort of negated the need for that but yet we kind of snuck that in the back door except we put it in git to use in kubernetes so the irony of that is is pretty profound right well it's is, all about you know, the container right, right yeah right maybe it's the because Chevron Puppet didn't figure yes. out how to work in the container look for that matter jenkins too Right. We we had we went to, you know, Jenkins X because of all of that Sensible. and everything else. Sensible um, example. Yeah. But what I'm reminded is of the old who of the old who song. Right. Meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. Exactly. And, you know, and you, you still have that old boss. Um, but that being said, here's another thing. And Parag, I'll, I'm going to ask you to kick off as I take us a direction here. And that is, is GitOps, you know, yes, it's for deployment. What about testing? Hey, Tricentis is all about testing. We're doing our testing in Git. Is that is that the that stops? Uh, right? Is that better, worse? Is that the way it should be? Always, sometimes, never. So, so I don't know if I'd call it testing in Git, but uh, I would say you know now Git becomes a source of truth. So the the I think what Tracy said is right, that it's it's just that same sort of automation of infrastructure, but now moved into making Git the centerpiece of where you define this. So the Git part is unchanged, but the testing is now event-driven, right? So because you've merged in code, you've committed code, or you're going to do a pull request, that can trigger test testing. Uh, and we call this continuous testing. And and I think the evolution of this can even go as far as our test definitions themselves should also be put into Git. Okay, that's the next evolution that we'll have. I don't believe it's it's really commonplace just yet. But when, when that happens, then we are trying to describe as much as possible into Git as a repository and use the principles of version control added with the event-driven concept. So when a developer does X, or when an operator is in an environment Y and something needs to change, that whole Git workflow can invoke continuous testing to say, do I allow that to merge back in? You know, if you wanna be, um, ha have an approval, you could do those kinds of things. So to me, um, incorporating continuous testing and the day that we put test definitions into Git as well. We, we've gone quite a bit further of completing this vision and really making DevOps real, right? Because DevOps isn't just releasing really fast, deploying really fast. It's deploying fast with confidence and ease. That's, that's what we need. Thoughts on that panel? Sure, it seems like a natural evolution to to include the test environment in it. As you say, Parag is probably not commonplace uh, 
get today. You know, a question for you about that. Do you think that there's incentive with the folks that are taking care of the testing, whether it be the QA team or developers writing tests, things like that? Are they, do you think they have the right incentives to, to move it into Git or will it be something else that cause it to happen? I think as long as people have the incentive of delivering value as quickly as possible with the best mean time to recover, the mm-hmm. lowest defect uh, leakage rate, as long as we do break down those silos, as you said. If the testing team is, uh, okay, well, I don't understand what the developers do, just throw it over the wall and then I do my test, that's not going to work. This is talking about dev testers, the full stack developers. And as long as everybody's motivation is right, that we're trying to deliver value faster and faster, but we will not have confidence. A, a VP will not say, let my applications go out. You know, they're going to look at portfolios of apps and say, these, what, what amount of testing has been done? What amount of security checks have been done? That's another thing. The environment, okay, that's the most, that's the biggest entropy of all. We have the least control over the environment. Okay, the same code, the same infrastructure in different environments behaves differently. Until we get that environment description also into Git, coupled with the testing model themselves that says, here's how we tested in that environment for that application, for this infrastructure pattern, then DevOps becomes real. Until then, this is all talk. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think it's critical, and it's something that GitOps again. This concept of GitOps, I, I think, is exciting to a lot of people that have been trying to make DevOps real <laughs> for so long because it enables that in a way, right? We see the kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I, I would say, in if that is all brought into Git and all made into you know uh, something that can deploy, you know, independent of any human interaction. Well, now you have the ability to do continuous testing. You have the ability to stand up in an identical environment, right? The, the golden egg goose or golden <laughs> egg of a, of a, hey, we want an environment that's exactly like production to really test in and really hit with security uh, tests and, and know that when we do deploy to production, we're going to have that confidence. And, and so if you're able to continue to iterate on the environment, the infrastructure, just like you're iterating on the code, it enables you to then say, okay, now we can not only have the code to review and maybe some static code analysis that happens and some testing that happens and, and then maybe some human testing that happens. Oh, now we've also got an entire environment spun up automatically that mirrors production where we can have a high level of confidence that it's going to work when it really ships. So guys, you're telling me you know, DevOps hasn't been real quite yet. I feel like I'm living in the matrix. <laughs> and I'm living in a simulation. Tracy, I sense you're Agent Smith here, though. You you have you have a different view. Maybe GitOps isn't the panacea it is, or it's been projected, you know, projected here. What what's your view? So I, I no hate mail. Okay, no hate mail. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because I know there's a lot of enthusiasts out there, and rightfully so. But let me just level set the way I see where we're headed and where GitOps can't can't take us. GitOps is imperative. It's scripted. Um, 
and it works really well. So if we think about how GitOps, most people use GitOps, you have a code repository that you keep all your source code in. You make a change of your source code, you check that in just the same as you always did. You also have an environment repository. And what lives in your environment repository is your, um, your Kubernetes deployment YAML file. And that is where you define all of the stuff that we've been talking about. And that's what the GitOps operator looks at and pulls across. Now, if you have a, if you're in a Kubernetes environment and you are, um, you have containerized your application, this works great. It really does. And you don't have a whole lot of environments. You have three environments, dev, test, and prod. Because remember, you have to brand, just because in a Kubernetes YAML file, it's, it, there's a couple of things that are important to get ops to the GitOps operator. One is the tag of the container. So once you register your, your container image, you get a SHA and that makes it a, a unique identifier. And you have to update the, your YAML script with that SHA. Now, dev, test, and prod may have different values, configuration values. So you have to branch it. So you branch dev, test, and prod. So now you have three versions of that YAML file to manage a, your container deployment. And that's pretty doable for most for most organizations today, um, but it is still imperative. Everything's being defined at, by the script um, for each of those environments. Now let's go and let's expand it and scale it. Um, let's scale it to a microservice environment. Every microservice has its own YAML file because it should be independently deployed. And they should be shared because that's the beauty of a service-oriented architecture. They should be shared across teams. So what you do is you, as, you, as an application team, you're going to make your coding changes in your, in your coding repository. And then you're going to have different YAML files for your different, the different services. Now, let's say you're a store. I use the candy store and the hipster store and the clothing store. They all use the cart service. Well, they're all going to put their YAML, the cart service YAML file into their environment repository. And that's going to get deployed to their own clusters and namespaces. So you have a scaling issue. And it's because of the imperative nature of GitOps. We are starting to move and have more conversations about declarative and events and catalogs where this stuff is going to be stored and and generated at runtime. So for example, instead of having all of these scripts, you're gonna have central places to go to say, what's the key value pair for this environment? I'm gonna pull this registry information that has the SHA. I'm gonna go get my key value pairs. And that way you don't have to have so many scripts and you're not, you're not managing. Uh, it's onerous. It really can become onerous. We have customers who have 200 microservice and 20 clusters. That's a lot of scripts. And if you're an SRE, and you, you want to update your microservice and you want to provide it to everybody, you're going to have to figure out every single application uh, environment repository that has it in there for every single environment and make those corrections. So it, it doesn't scale as well as it should. Now, I know that their CNCF has a group, uh, a, an, a working group around uh, GitOps, and they're starting to think about GitOps version 2. And they're going to have to address these kinds of, of core problems around an imperative process. Love it, Brendan. Yeah, I mean, I like I like that concept, and I, I think you're right, Tracy. That you know, the ability to um, manage the scale is is definitely something you have to you know be prepared for if you're thinking about GitOps, right? Because 
if you just take it at its face value, right, you end up with all those scripts and, and it could just, it could make up the problems you have worse rather than, you know, fixing some of the problems you hope it would come into and, and solve. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, I think in a cloud native environment, it, it, again, it maybe pairs a little bit more simply, but I, I think that's why, again, it's, it's great to think about the concept of, you know, like focusing on that developer centric approach and the experience that they're going to have when it comes to shipping something out, right? To your point of like, if I want to ship an update to my microservice that impacts everyone, I don't want to have to go through 78 repositories and update that everywhere. Um, and so, you know, having GitOps, you know, do the infrastructure management in the same version control system as application development is great, um, but you also have to have a plan in place for how does that scale to to the scale that you're really going to build to, if that's scale of developers, if that's scale of services, if that's scales of environments. Uh, and so I think it's important to have tooling and an approach in place that that accounts for that as well. Prague, you were going to say something, I think, before yeah, we... Yeah, sure. Um, so so I, I love what Tracy described there and getting into the specifics of the proliferation of YAML files and, you know, especially as we break down microservices. So this is the whole um, concern with microservices, what you took as monolith and you described as one big black box, now you've broken down. And so now we have a proliferation of all these things, right? So, um, you know, I like things like Helm to help to reduce uh, that and parameterize all these things. Uh, but fundamentally with GitOps, the concepts are there, like I said, infrastructure as code with an event-driven type of approach, version control. What, what I like about CNCF and containerization is that the purpose of containers inherently, and Brandon can keep me honest on this, is, is really to make the environment uh, completely separated from your solution, your application, your infrastructure, right? So today's industry, the best uh, approach we have is containers or serverless, which is also part of CNCF, so that we have things like Docker files and YAMLs that, that allow us to reduce the entropy of the environment as we can as much as possible and describe them declaratively in, in things like YAML files. And I do agree with Tracy 100% that now it becomes, okay, well, now I've got all these different configs, pulled that out of my code, even with service mesh technology and CNCF, we're pulling out things like security and rate limiters between every single microservice, all that's taken out of the logic, the business logic on everybody doing security different ways. Now becomes the configuration issue. How do I, if I wanna change a configuration, how do I need to change a hundred different YAML files or, or config maps? And uh, I think that technology is evolving. Helm is just one example. Uh, and then uh, associate that with all the continuous delivery uh, it, you all know, you know, Spinnaker and a uh, bunch of different technologies in this area, Octopus and so forth that can, that can help. Yep. Mitch, did you want to say something? Otherwise, I want to, I got another. No, all I was going to add to the conversation is version control across all of this also gets very complex. So <laughs> I think you, you but, all. But isn't that what Git and repositories are supposed to help us with anyway? It so, is, but now you're versioning all of your scripts along with all the environments and all the variables of what you're trying to script. So, and it's it's not relational. Yeah, 
you know, when you have, um, what's the blast radius of my microservice? I'm going to push it out because my, um, my, my hipster store needs the new cart service. Uh, if you're using a um, an SOA architecture, that means that you have one cart service and everybody's using that version, and that's the best way to move forward because you eliminate the sprawl. Um, if you put it all in the, the, its own namespace, you have multiple versions of the cart service. So now you have a problem with the cart service, and you have to go update all the all the namespaces that's using that cart service. So you have to have a relational model to be able to track what applications or what namespaces are using what um, microservices. <clears throat> and <clears throat> unfortunately, Git is not relational. Um, we create relations using tags, we using different repositories, but that becomes redundant. Great. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Tracy, so let me structure. Okay, oh, uh, I was just gonna follow up uh, and ask questions. So Tracy, uh, do you, I think what you're saying there is, uh, Git is just, you know, a big version control repository. If we can provide some extra structure and relationships around all these artifacts that we're storing there, we might uh, have better control. And that's what you call catalog. Yeah. Right. So I think we're starting when we when we really look at a service oriented architecture and we look at let's say, for example, let's look at the let's push ourselves farther into the future. And Brendan brought this up around service mesh. And I believe this can happen and will happen. I believe service mesh will be um, enhanced on. Right now, you can say, do a deployment and deploy out to 10% of my users. I think service mesh will start looking at Active Directory and say, deploy out to my developers. So now we have one cluster and we're we're, we have immutable services out there. We put a new service out there. It gets request routed to the developers. They do their testing on it. If once it's once it's good, it's rerouted to their testing uh, community. It, then it's rerouted to a certain group of their production community, which means that we don't have deployments across multiple clusters. We're going to start pushing and into a one big cluster, which sounds a lot like the mainframe, <laughs> but we're come full circle and as alan said the song right meet the uh meet the new boss, boss. Even the old boss <laughs> right we won't get fooled again yeah, uh, um, yeah no, it, 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 that is true uh, there's certainly some 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 truth to that I wanted to spend a little time talking about the impact of GitOps on the cicd market Right. The CI, you know, I, we, we've written in devops.com several articles, the gist of which, of which was, you know, uh, DevOps is the symptom of disease. CICD is the cure, if you will. Right. And, and we've built this whole DevOps industry around CICD solutions. And when we look at you know, look, I mean, GitLab's a great example. They had a great Git product to begin with, but it was their CI CD solution that kind of moved them into that end-to-end -end DevOps, if you will, right? GitOps, I think, has profoundly changed that market because it's profoundly changed the way we do CI CD. Well, that and Kubernetes, right? Kubernetes, I think, was the initiator of it. What does it mean for the market? What does it mean, you know, for our audience out here? We have a technical audience, 60% of which are practitioners, 30% uh, are, are managers or higher, and 10% are just 
I don't know, vendors. But, um, you know, what is what does it mean for them out there? What does it mean? I mean, the CICD tools they've gotten used to that they've grown up with a bit over these last years. What does it mean for them? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we, we love to say CICD together. I mean, I love to say CICD together, right? That's how we name our product. Um, but those concerns have always really been separate and never really been completely merged and married. Like it's great to try and think about them as the same, you know, a single unit CI slash CD. Right. Um, but I think the reality is that, you know, CI is something that has been around for a really long time, uh, probably 20 plus years, if not more. Um, but CD is something that a lot of organizations still struggle with for any number of reasons, right? Um, whether that's, a technical reason, whether that's an organizational structure reason, uh, whether that's a risk aversion, aversion reason, right? The idea of doing continuous deployment is something that uh, really is very dependent on your organizational structure, uh, who your end users are, uh, and then yes, to some degree, like you said, Alan, the tooling that you choose. Uh, and what we've seen, you know, in traditional CI/CD tooling is this concept of, you know, applying what we do in CI, which is, you know, scripting based on an event, you know, running through a number of scripts, you know, that is what then becomes CD. Oh, well, now we're going to push with scripts out to the environment. Um, and so GitOps, um, you know, you noticed in my definition, I didn't say that a poll was necessary. I think you can do push-based GitOps, right? If you have infrastructure as code, you have MRs as the point of change control, uh, and you and you have, you know, the ability um, to do CI/CD, but I think most people, when they hear GitOps, think about this new, another new concept, right? Which is this concept of pulling, right? We've heard Tracy talk about that. And so having an agent, an active agent inside of your infrastructure that is constantly, um, ensuring that your desired state is the actual state in the world, right? That's what Kubernetes brought to us. Um, that's what, and then that's what pull-based GitOps brings to us, right? And so that's why, you know, for us, we've done, been doing CD for years, like you said, Alan, uh, and we're doing mostly push-based, but as our customers' needs expanded in GitOps, well, we adopted a Kubernetes operator. Now we have our own Kubernetes operator, and you're seeing this more and more now, all the tools um, that runs inside of the cluster and pulls changes in. Uh, and that methodology, while... <laughs> again, credit to Tracy, sounds a lot like Puppet. Um, it still is something that, you know, was the allure of Kubernetes for a lot of people. Hey, I want to describe my desired state and have something else worry about that desired state always being true. Um, regardless of if, you know, I push something wrong once, you know, I want this desired state to always be correct. Uh, and so I think that's what we're, that's how we're going to see a huge change in the tool space, right? Like, to, to uh, Parag's point, like we were talking about Spinnaker, that's something that Netflix has been using for a long time, but no one has ever, no one ever thought that they would be deploying like Netflix. Well, now it's a huge deal. And lots we of people are. are talking about it and they are right. Uh, and so it's, it's very interesting. Mitchell, it sounds like an analyst question. Well, I was thinking about, about that very much. Um, and I appreciate Brendan's perspective on it because <clears throat> Anytime, anytime you have a major paradigm change, right? You have early adopters and then you have a long tail of how that 
adopts out and you're talking about the Netflix people are now starting. How long have we been talking about Netflix as the as example, as long as we've had DevOps and continuous deployment. And, and I think we have a bit of the same challenge here of instead of still having layers of our stack and different responsibilities or processes or things that go into creating environments, whether it's from code or not, um, when we say it's all going to be based on a pull and it's all going to happen, um, you know, in its in its own in its own environment, if you will, that's a bit of a a big pill to swallow for a lot of organizations, especially in complex applications. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I think it's going to be a, a slow to adopt. And I'm sorry if I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail. Hate mail. <laughs> it's it's a great concept, but I do think it's going to be more difficult to adopt than even containers were for breaking down applications. Not that it's not a good idea or the right idea. It's just um, instead of software architectures, modern software architectures being something the developers now get their mind around with containers and microservices and fabrics, meshes. Now you're talking about different parts of the organizations going into infrastructure and ops and it's all getting compacted together and you've got multiple parts of the organization getting behind that, that paradigm shift. So that's, that's my view of it. Will we see things in the market around GitOps? Of course we will. Well, I don't think we're going to see this tipping point that will happen rapidly. That's my assessment. Okay. So it seems like you and Tracy have formed some sort of coalition here. And I always uh, go to Tracy when I need something. Answered. Right. Well, Send the hate mail that way. I, now, uh, now Brendan and Brock. <laughs> right. I, I want to say that the CICD pipeline can adopt GitOps quite um, efficiently. Um, you think about what Brandon pointed out. When you think about CI/CD, you think everything's a push, right? Uh, you, and you had a script that you executed that the that you know your your CI/CD server, your orchestration server, your job scheduler said, "Hey, there's a step here." Then that step goes out and pushes an update to a production environment. How that's going to because GitOps is a pull methodology, it doesn't have a promotion methodology. And what really we're going to see is our C if, for folks using GitOps is we're going to see the CI/CD um, process do the create the pull request. And there'll be an approval. If you want a pull request to go into production, there's going to have to be probably a manual step that approve that pull request. And then once it gets there, it you know the CI/CD pipeline creates it. Now the challenge will be. Of having the CI/CD pipeline automatically update all of those 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 declarative scripts, <laughs> because there'll have to be one be based, a different one based on the environment. But that is totally doable, and it it, it doesn't um, change that. But what it does do, it says, "Hey CI/CD, you need to have a hermetic process. It needs to be airtight. You need to have a single source of truth." What that is, ultimately will still be called GitOps, even if it's not Git that is that single source of truth. It'll be like we, we reach for a clinic, it's not a tissue. <laughs> let, let me back up what Tracy just said and, and maybe take the view of, uh, I think you said 30% of the listeners are looking at this from a business angle. And your question sounded also like, what does this mean at our industry, to our industry, right? So today we've got, uh, I don't know, 170 different products, if you will, and tools around, um, uh, and Brandon can probably say, no, it's not 250 or something, but uh, around DevOps uh, uh, and, and all the new different concepts. Closer to 700. Oh, okay. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're behind. So, 
So we have so many things here and there's a reason for that too, right? So we can't just say, hey, let me take a cloud provider's full CI, CD, DevOps vision and hope that we're going to impose one way of doing things, okay? Because this is not all worked out. And uh, the moment you bring the developer mindset to other layers of the computing stack, infrastructure, environment, operations, it becomes so complex. And I think that's, as at an industry, what it's going to do is it's going to actually spur a lot of opportunity, a lot more innovation. I don't know if that means there's going to, 750 will go to 1,050, um, but, but uh, there's, there's so much room for different companies that will do things differently, push, pull. I need an approval before production due to segregation of duties. No, no, no. I want to approve before I even commit the code um, or, or at least run the security static analysis, the dynamic analysis, the container image scanning, all these. Everybody will have different ways of doing things. And I think it's going to spur on lots of opportunities for a lot of companies. Fair enough. The giant Petri dish. Guys, I'm going to need to pull the plug on us here because we're, we're up against our time limit. But um, what a great conversation. For our audience, in a couple of weeks, and I don't have the date in front of me, I apologize, we're actually going to do an interactive roundtable on this subject. Some of our panel members will be back for that. And we're going to allow you to come on live and ask questions and comment and, and join the conversation on this. I think it's a great conversation. So be on the lookout for that and come check us out. But in the meantime, Tracy, as always, you know, you bring so much to this. Thank you so much. Thank oh, you so, so much. Absolutely. My yes. Pleasure. Brendan, always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Look yeah. forward. Also, Brendan does a show with us here on uh, Tech Strong TV every month. It's called The Lab. And he discusses, you know, the 22nd of every month is a new GitLab release. And Brendan gives us the lowdown on each month's release. It comes out once a month. It's called The Lab, and it's available here on Tech Strong TV. So, Brendan, thanks much for that. Yeah, thanks, Alan, for having me. I always learn so much from these panels. Um, so hopefully hopefully we all learn something today, but I, I, yep. I really enjoy doing them. Always a pleasure. And you add as much as you learn, Brendan. Thank you. Parag, one question for you. Sure. You mentioned earlier that you were a former physicist. Is there such a thing as a former physicist? Isn't it more like I think, therefore I am? Once yeah. a physicist, always a physicist? Certainly as Hotel California. You're absolutely right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yep. but, but thank you so much for joining us. Always, always great to have you here and, and bringing some great perspective to everything. I appreciate it. Thank All you, right. Bro. Mitchell, what can I say? We, we, we wrapped another one, Mitch. Good stuff. Did we did? I'm and I'm just so glad that Prague didn't bring quantum physics into this because I'd be in trouble. That could be another show we'll do. Um, <laughs> quantum computing, but no. Anyway, that's going to wrap up this episode of DevOps Unbound. We hope you've enjoyed it. We, this is uh, every other week we do a dev a fresh DevOps Unbound. So be on the lookout every month. We do do the roundtable with the audience. So be on the lookout for that as well. This is Alan Schimmel for MediaOps. You've what just oh. Before we go, many thanks to Tricentis for sponsoring DevOps Unbound. We couldn't do it without them. So um, thank you all very much. We'll see you on another episode. Mm -hmm.